Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Ooh, hello. <laughs> hello, Gary. <laughs> and welcome to Pete and Gary's Military History. I'm Gary Bain and I'm with Peter Hart. And today, Pete, it's a very special day. Uh, we are doing Laugh or Cry Conditions in the Trenches. Now, why are we doing Laugh or Cry Conditions in the Trenches? Well, it's the third or fourth in the series. But there's something else, isn't there, Gary? That's what you're going for. We've uh, we've had events, haven't we? We've had uh, movements, well, movements, Gary. <laughs> well, there will be an event. So um, we've got a launch of our book, Laugh or Cry. Has it got a subtitle? It has, but I can't remember what it is. <laughs> I thought you could. <laughs> British soldier on the Western Front, 1914 to 1918. Well, that's splendid. That is roughly right. <laughs> Don't hold us to that. Uh, who's publishing that fine thing? Uh, it's been published by Pen and Sword. It should be out slightly ahead of the 11th of November, 2022, just in case you're listening to this in the future. And we're going to launch the book at um, the Constitutional Club in, in sunny East Finchley, the centre of the universe. And uh, that's <laughs> going to be on the 11th of November. And uh, tickets are available by uh, messaging us or on social uh, media, uh, yeah. getting in touch through social media at uh, the fine price of. £22. Now, that includes... What does it include, Gary? Because it seems a lot. It does seem a lot, but when you consider the price is going to be at at least £20 for the book, it includes a free copy of the book, uh, signed by both of us, or unsigned for £25. £25. (laughs) Um, But you also get to see some presentations by Taff Gillingham. He's our favourite. And uh, Richard Van Emden. (laughs) He's even more our favourite. And I may well start a Mexican wave. And who else is speaking? Uh, well, we will be speaking, and the whole evening will be held together. Oh, I'm not sure these are the right words. By uh, Alex Churchill uh, of History Hack fame. Yes. So we're really looking forward to it. Uh, how did this book come about, Gary? I was wondering this as I gazed at the script for today's uh, thing. Tightly script? Sp- script. Tightly scripted uh, as ever. Uh, I, I, uh, I wondered, how, how did we come to write the book, Gary? Do you know what? I just cannot remember. I really don't remember. I think we were having a conversation about um, uh, humour and and the British soldier, and it just sort of came from that. Yeah. 
Been... And then, you know, it did worry me when we approached a certain publisher and they asked, yes, but what question does it answer? Uh, and uh, behind them was a poster of a donkey, their latest, <laughs> their latest fine publication. We won't name that pub- publisher. But we're very happy with uh, Pen and Sword, aren't we? They, they've been lovely to us, haven't they? They have. Now, today's podcast, yes, moving be back. swiftly yeah. on. Ooh, every word is scripted, carved from the rock of the dictionary. Uh, when you read accounts of the Great War, it can lead to a remarkably confused picture of the Tommy. The brave Tommy. Oh, so how's he pictured at the start, though? How would you say he was pictured? Well, at the start, he's certainly pictured as a valiant fighter to uh, to avenge poor Belgium. A heroic figure, rarely to be found without a cheery quip and a chorus of Tipperary on his lips. Uh, yeah, then uh, things change. After the war's actually over, there's another view. It's a load of really miserable books that that what do they emphasize i don't know i haven't read all your books <laughs> ambushed <laughs> the books you're referring to they uh, they sought to emphasize the mud the lice the spattered gore yeah tommy's now an embittered brute incapable of finer feelings i'm thinking of someone here blaspheming crudely i'm definitely thinking of someone dependent on sex and alcohol to keep them going yeah, yeah i know i am <laughs> i was thinking well of just you. alcohol really yeah, just alcohol. and even that infrequently now as one might expect the actual picture is far more nuanced well it's something that we always emphasize about great the great war is that if something is a simple view it tends to be wrong hmm. well both types did exist sometimes even within the same soldier under varying circumstances are you saying human beings are complicated are you saying that they're not just simple beings? well you're hmm. Hmm. yes well i think what i'll say is human beings are complicated <laughs> and there is no set pattern as to how they react to the outrageous stresses of war yet there are common traits that we can explore and of these one of the most interesting is the use of humor as a sort of armor against the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that bit was scripted <laughs> now picture the typical british soldier on the western front up to his knees in mud soaking wet shot at with every weapon known to the germans bossed about by ncos and officers but in many cases still determined to see the funny side rather than surrender to utter misery that sounds like my relationship with you yes it does although i think i've surrendered to utter misery (laughs) now as a rule of thumb does the british soldier moan yes (laughs) What? It's a resounding yes. But you told me they never <laughs> complain. Well, he rarely stops complaining, grumbling, whinging, protesting, objecting, whining, griping. Actually, I think about this, I, I think I prefer the heroic <laughs> figure. Yes. Now, all the while, he's muttering profane obscenities under his breath. Now, I'd describe all of that as uh, observing. Observing, not Complaining Not or complaining. any other things. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I would say grousing is a fairly universal phenomenon amongst the British soldiers. Phenomenon. Oh, phenomenon. 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 Yes. Now, if they ever harnessed it like a sort of perpetual motion machine, it could have powered the world. Now, much of the moaning was laced with humour of all sorts. 
Yeah, I think almost everything that happened to them is sort of grist to their sense of the absurd. Uh, it's it's this self-defense measure. It distracts them from the trials and tribulations of their lives, the sheer horror that surrounds them. Uh, and, and this is where the book title comes from. Go on, you tell Well, you have to laugh or cry, and that could have been their motto, really. Yeah. Re- really? But few put it better or more succinctly than this veteran. And this veteran, you're going to read uh, the quote from his Captain Hubert Rees of the 2nd Welsh Regiment, fine body of men. Uh, Which accent are you choosing? Not for one moment do I wish to imply... German! Oh, yeah. Not for one moment do I wish to imply that the war was anything but a horrible business, but a sense of humour was almost a necessity to prevent the combatants from going mad. There is no doubt that the men who took the war too seriously and were able to see no humour in it could not stand the strain. I say combatants advisedly because a sense of humour was not confined to the British. Therefore, one or two notorious war books dealing with the horrors of the war in which is depicted a state of affairs in which it would be impossible to remain sane cannot be accepted as a true reflection. Now, the, what we, we we need to be one thing we worried about with the book was that 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 we worried that that people wouldn't understand what we were doing. We we accept that life in the trenches it's it's nasty, brutish, and and frequently short. A bit like yourself in some ways. It it you've you just got enormous resilience to survive. The conditions they're facing would test the physical and mental capabilities of any soldier to the limit. I think, uh, but that's not. One thing that's important is that's not uh, unique to the Western Front and it's not unique to the Great War, is it? Uh, but but it was bad, wasn't it? Yeah, the static nature of the fighting, it heaped the horrors upon other horrors. And how did they survive? Physically, it was a matter of a mixture of acquired instincts and skills and sometimes that, that was coupled with blind luck. And what we're saying is that mentally the men use humour as a sort of protective wall, a cushion if you like, uh, to dull the boredom, the fear and the agony. And they laugh at sort of every aspect of torment that surrounds them. Yeah, how would you describe their humour? Well, I think as you've described it, the, the humour ran the full gamut from A to Z. Prattful, sarcasm, toilet mishaps. Always a popular one with the British. Over-the-top abuse. You bastard. Schadenfreude. <laughs> Surrealism. <laughs> I've having trouble with that. I was all right with schadenfreude. Uh, and they're all grist to their funny bones. And I've got an example here from Lance Corporal Douglas Bell, 1st 5th London Regiment. That's the London Rifle Brigade, guys. Um, so, uh, he's a guys. cop. That's you. Yes. You are the most famous gazer in the whole world of military history. Things are queerly mixed. One picks up a man with his brains blown out. They will not keep their dear silly heads down. And five minutes after, we've forgotten the pitiful sight and are laughing over some jest. The particular jest here was a a model of HMS Lion that the men were floating about in the communication trench. This is 50 yards from the Bosch. It was made from a piece of corky bark from from a big pine. The gun turrets and funnels were also fashioned from the bark, and she had four gun cartridge cases, four forward and four aft. And that really, I do like naval history. I love the idea of a model of HMS Lion sailing down this muddy communication trench. But the the thing was, you've got to remember how that quote started. How did that quote start? I'm trying to catch you out here. 
things are queerly mixed. Someone's got his brains blown out, and 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 yet they are distracting no, themselves. But it started with things are queerly mixed. You are entirely right, Gary. <laughs> now, as they moved into the line, the relieving troops found that in some text sectors the ground conditions were dreadful, almost beyond imagining. Now, you're going to be Lieutenant Walter Bedford, who's Australian, 11th Australian Battalion. But you've been looking forward to reading this quote for the past two years while we've been writing this book. I think your every waking moment has been spent looking forward to the denouement of it. Go, enjoy the moment, Gary. Lieutenant J. Archibald, always known as Archie, was in company with Company Sergeant Major George Lamerton, endeavouring to reach the front line by the long, gluey communication trench. Archie was rather stout and not in the best of condition, and the strenuous journey began to have its effect on him. As they neared the front line, the trench got rapidly worse, and Archie put one foot into a place where a shell had burst not long before, and he disappeared in a smother of mud and water. With Lamerton's help, he was dragged to his feet, and propped against the wall of the trench, where he dripped mud from every part of his clothing and equipment. Gasping and spitting out several unpalatable portions of Piccadilly, he was a sight to move the gods to tears or laughter. When Archie found his voice, he burst out, George, I'm fucked. I'm absolutely fucked. When I left, my girl fucking told me I had to fucking win a fucking medal. But if she fucking wants any bloody medals, she'll fucking have to come out here and win them herself. I think that's just one of the great questions. We ought to point out as re- responsible historians that the word began with F and there was no other clue. But we, we've uh, we've put it in, haven't we? We've worked out what he said. Mm. Now, of course... Countless amusing incidents occurred, but some much-repeated apocryphal stories circulated, one of which was still popular when I was in the army 60 years later. And you're going to tell us what Captain Quartermaster Ernest Lehman of the Second South Wales Borderers said. South Wales Borderers says. I am remembered of a some yarn during a damp spell. Officer passing or wading along the road sees a tin helmet move. Reaching out with his stick, he tips it over and finds a head underneath boil. Hello! <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Number 45678, mechanical transport driver Thomas Sticklebob, sir. Where's your lorry then? Standing on it, sir. <laughs> And that is legit. That genuinely joke. I remember you telling me when we found that you that that the same joke was uh, when it was muddy and wet was still uh, yeah. still in, yeah. Um, now let's. There's a bit of a uh, well. None of it's entirely serious, but it, it is serious. Uh, that what what surrounds them in the trenches? Well, often it's corpses, uh, and especially following a battle. Now, in our squeamish world, it seems impossible to imagine sharing your living space with the recently, or in some cases, not so recently, deceased. Wow, to coexist, you've got, you know, it's a bit of a reminder of your own mortality and the terrible dangers you're facing if there's a lifeless corpse next to you. Uh, Now, at first, soldiers would be shocked, uh, terrified almost, just the presence of death around them. But then, then they become a little numbed and then finally they become numbed and then it just becomes another grist to their mill of humour. And it, they make callous jokes. And here's an example from Private Stephen Graham of the 2nd Scots Guards. Two sergeants going out for a stroll came upon a German corpse with a steel helmet right down over the eyes. 
One of them lifted up the helmet in order to see the face properly. When the sergeant lifted the helmet, it pulled up the flesh with it, and the upper lip rose from over the ivory teeth with a ghastly grin. Take that smile off your face, said the sergeant, and let the helmet drop back over the eyes again. And they laughed. Yeah, I'll find that. I mean, we've found, we've, I mean, when we were writing the book, we've, we said, it's funny, but it's a bit dark, isn't it, sometimes? That's a dark one. One of that, let, let's, let's look at, we're talking about conditions. Uh, what's most important to a soldier? Well, uh, one of the most important things is food, isn't it? And uh, what do you think is one of the wonders of life in the trenches? Well, it's the regularity of the food rations, which the, the you know, the, with which the men were fed. Millions upon millions of tons of foodstuffs were required to feed the massed battalions of men, to give them their uh, three square meals a day, without fail, day in and day out, and not just for a few weeks, Pete, or months, but for year after year. Yeah, I, I would say it's a little. Hello, Rob Thompson. He's not listening now. Uh, the, but it was a logistical nightmare. Uh, but do you know what? The army managed it. Barely a hiccup, I'd say. And then the nightly ration parties uh, would go backwards and forwards. And, and But even that task's not, it's got its risks. Being on a ration party was not safe, was it? No, and this is what Private Norman Cliff of the 1st Grenadier Guards says. On our way back, we came across a skull lying in the open with fragments of kit that identified it as a German. Death grimaced menacingly from the skull. But smart, a carefree youngster, waved to it with the remark, Goodbye, old sport! And we chuckled. We had not covered ten yards more before death struck with a sniper's help and smart joined the unknown Germany, sorry, the unknown German in the fraternity of the fallen. A bullet through the head, he had mocked at death, and Nemesis could not have been more swift. Ooh. Again, Dark humour. Mm. Every night, the ration party had come up, carrying the food in sandbags. What would they have to eat? Well, go on, let's go through it. We've done this before, but... Let's well, amongst the tin foods was bully beef. What's that? Well, that's corned beef, as we would know it. Uh, McConaughey's, which that. was a, a, a meat and vegetable stew. Pork and beans, that's... Uh, well, baked beans, haricot beans, with a, a little tiny lump of fatty pork. They used to make jokes about that hiding. <laughs> Make a good snipe of the fatty pork. Cheese and tinned bacon. I'm not sure about tinned bacon. Oh, no, it was nice. They liked it. The fat was good for other things. Bread was a treat. Uh, now, one. Let's, let's talk about the one that they never forget that's mentioned in everything is the bully, isn't it? Uh, and that is sent forward in huge quantities. And, and men got absolutely sick to bloody death of it. And sometimes there seemed to be nothing else. And, and the, the classic, I did lots and lots of interviews. And, and the, the men always swore, I've never eaten bully beef again. Uh, um, and, uh, and then similarly, if they got jam on the Western Front, uh, it always seemed to be plum and apple. Anyway, I remember well interviewing Private Sybil Stewart, the 238th Company Machine Gun Corps, and you're going to recreate the moment as I sat in his front room listening to him saying this. One fella got a parcel from his wife sent out from home. He opened up this parcel. We were all sitting opening our parcels and mail. Sid Baker says, Oh, boys, look, boys. He held up a tin of plum and apple jam. A parcel from home and this tin of plum and apple was in it. We were building dugout walls with it. He laughed like to kill himself. His own wife had sent him a tin of jam. Now, <laughs> I do like that story and you would just like him. Thank you. 
past well, it, old. <laughs> Sometimes, due to the conditions, they couldn't get water forward, but there was usually plenty of water all around them. But uh, there was often a risk of it being polluted. And this is what Private George Mitchell of 48th Australian Battalion says. We headed back to a shell hole from which we had continually drawn a most excellent supply. But when we arrived on this occasion, the water had drained off. Lying peacefully on the bottom was a large and very dead Fritz. And the water seemed so good, said one chap. It was soup, you goat, replied an unsympathetic onlooker. Soup. Oh, God. Again, I would say that's pretty dark. Fairly dark, isn't it? Now, cigarettes and rum meant very little to non-smoking teetotalers. I'm sort of a non-smoking teetotaler. But they meant the whole world to the average man. Yeah. Cigarettes were plentiful, but there still never seemed to be enough. Well, they become a, a kind of currency, passed pass between friends, shared to the last puff or dog end, didn't they? And that what... still happened when I was in, in the 70s and 80s. There was a phrase, twos up. The minute you lit a cigarette, somebody would shout, Two's up, and that meant you had to share your cigarette with them. Fantastic. We never thought of saying no. Yes. <clears throat> now, what what could be just as important to, to to the average soldier? Well, the rum ration, especially in winter. Yeah. Can you imagine a, a, a freezing cold, flooded trench, and, and rum appears to be a lifesaver, doesn't it? Now, there's a point about this, isn't there? Well, modern doctors, they'd point out that alcohol promotes a dangerous loss in body heat. But the experience of the men in the trenches was markedly different. They swore by it. And you're going to be, and I want your Australian accent this time, Corporal Harold Williams of 56th Australian Battalion. Ram was our best doctor. Brilliant. To work and live in wet clothes, sleep in a hole in the ground... And keep healthy would have been impossible without the rum issue. Taken neat on an empty stomach first thing in the morning, it went down like molten fire, and however wet or depressed we might be, it sent our spirits soaring and created such an appetite that we could have eaten a dead man's boot. And again, it seems to be a perfectly serious <laughs> quote at all. That very last sentence, which just is nonsense. Now, um, one of the great controversies of the Western Front isn't whether uh, Haig was a complete bastard or or uh, or uh, whether Gallipoli was a waste of time. It's uh, what exactly SRD stamped on the rum jars means. Uh, what what do you think it means? Or what do you what 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 viewpoints? Well, some old sweats they swore that it meant soon runs dry. <laughs> but the general opinion was that it meant seldom reaches destination with the fickle finger of... Sus- the fickle finger? <laughs> the fickle finger of suspicion pointing at I the officers... I thought it was the fickle finger of fate. ...and NCOs responsible for the rum issue. And this is what Captain John Milne of the 1st 4th Leicestershire Regiment says. This, this is from a very good battalion history that we both liked. One spoonful, how it warmed the feet, how it took the place of a blanket, and what sleep it brought, and that contented feeling which made Private Atkins sit happily on the firing staff, softly crooning himself to sleep with this refrain. And we're going to try and sing it, aren't we? Can you lead the way? Because I sing the wrong tune normally. If the sergeants pinch the rum, 
Never mind. If the sergeants pinch the rum, never mind. They're entitled to a tot, but they pinch the bloody lot. If the sergeants pinch the rum, never mind. Oh, never mind. Well, often they had pinched, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, what, when were the Germans most hated in the Great War? Well, in, in, in this talk, anyway. Well, it's when they hit a, 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 a direct hit on the rum jar. The fulcrum of the average Tommy's desires, I would say. And, uh, one Cockney war story. This is, there was a book that we used, uh, wasn't it, uh, that for quite a bit, uh, uh, Cockney War Stories. It, it had a couple, and we could work out who had done them by their, their names. And you're going to be Private Edward Oliver of the 23rd London Regiment. So you've just said we could work out who'd done them by their names. Oh, sorry. We could work out what battalion they were in and things. So don't bully me when I'm so lovely. This is Private Edward Oliver. Just before the Battle of Messines, we of the 23rd Londons were holding the bluff sector to the right of Hill 60. Stand down was the order, and the sergeant was coming round with a rum. Nobbler, late of the Mile End Road, was watching him in joyful anticipation when a whiz-bang burst on the parapet, hurling men in all directions. No one was hurt, but the precious rum jar was shattered. Nobbler, sitting up in the mud and moving his tin hat from his left eye the better to gaze upon the ruin, murmured bitterly, Louvain, Reims, the Lusitania, and now our perishing rum issue. Jerry, you even, you gets worse and worse. But my hat won't you cop it when A finds out about this. Now, while you're thinking about this, uh, I think we'll take a short break for where there may or may not be an advertisement. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back. Welcome back indeed. Now, if war was a filthy business, then so were the men. <laughs> what, do you mean mentally? <laughs> well, covered in mud, miscellaneous shite, with, well, carry. <laughs> with lice here, there and everywhere. Yeah. Now, chatting. It's, What's chatting? Come on, that's what the men were doing. What are they? Well, it, it was a universal uh, pastime amongst the men. And, and this is what Private Frederick notes of the household battalion says. In common parlance, a louse was known as a chat, and the word was also used as a verb. To have a chat meant not light conversation, but to hunt in the folds of one's shirt. Newcomers from England were solemnly assured that on the other side of No Man's Land, all the lice bore iron cross markings on their backs and did the goose step in formation. Hmm. Well, let's have a, a word from a really reliable source of information on the on the Great War, Robert Graves, and he sums it up nicely. And you're going to be Second Lieutenant Robert Graves. He's Second Welsh Regiment this time. Lice were a standing joke. Young Bumford handed me one. We was just having an argument as to whether it's best to kill the old ones or the young ones, sir. Morgan here says that if you kill the old ones, the young ones die of grief. But Parry here, sir. He says that the young ones are easier to kill and you can catch the old ones when they go to the funeral. <laughs> Splendid stuff. Um, did you think, could they keep their uniforms clear, clean in the trenches? Well, think about it. I mean, that's simply impossible. Now, this is an absolute gem of a story from a medical officer and he sums it up perfectly. He is Lieutenant Lawrence Gamerson. Uh, who was uh, Royal Army Medical Corps, attached to the 73rd Brigade Royal Field Artillery. And you're going to tell us what he says. Uh, one of our Scottish infantrymen was perched on a ledge in the wall of a sodden trench. The trench was almost knee-deep in liquid mud. The ground outside and the approaches was a viscid, glutinous morass. Pitiless rain was pouring down. He was pulling a sock through the clenched fingers of his... <laughs> fingers? Fingers of his left hand. Mud oozed through his fingers and around the top of his sock as he pulled the sock, which was switch saturated with mud, was as slimy as an eel. I asked him what he was doing. He answered simply, with no dangerous Scottish twinkle in his eyes, I am doing a bit of washing, sir. <laughs> doing a bit of washing. <laughs> Now, it's going to be no surprise to find that the trench latrines oh. were not a particularly pleasant or indeed secure <laughs> In environment. In so many ways. We did want to call this book and then the pole broke, didn't we? But sadly, couldn't There were no poles. <laughs> no poles. Now, this wasn't a place for quiet contemplation with perhaps a smoke and a read of the latest newspaper. The Daily Mail, in your case, Gary. They were a functional necessity with everything reduced to the bare essentials. And I'm going to tell you what Private Ivor Watkins of the 15th Welsh Regiment Born says. and bred in Swansea with a distinctive Welsh accent. Yes. A hall. Everybody had to go in there. Officers and all. 
No paper. We had to do the best we could. We couldn't be bothered about anything else. The quicker you did it and got your trousers up to be ready, the better. It would be an awful thing to be caught with your trousers down. It was a quick move. That was uh, memorable. I remember interviewing him. He sounded nothing like that. Uh, There's nothing like the sense of utter vulnerability that men had when they were on the loo. On the loo, on the on the pole, or in, squatted on the the the, uh, the over the trench, when when they were under shell fire, uh, and who am I going to be? Well, you're going to tell us what Lieutenant Julian Tindale, Tindale Boss start again. <laughs> Lieutenant Julian Tindale Bisco of C Battery Royal Horse Artillery says, "One day, a shell hit the officer's latrine, sending the screen flying." I was shocked to see a man still sitting there on the throne. I thought he must be dead. I ran as hard as I could and arrived to find Ellison up and adjusting his trousers. He said with a grin, It was lucky that shell came when it did, as I was feeling a bit constipated. (laughs) Sorry we're laughing. I realise it's bad manners to laugh what could be considered our own jokes, but we are laughing at the original jokes, aren't we? We, we? These aren't our jokes. They're jokes that people made under great stress. And some of them are bloody funny. Now, one of the uh, the, the uh, well-known cliches oh, is rats as big as cats. Yep. Yeah. And it's familiar to all those who encountered great war veterans. The popular vision of the trenches has long been one of trenches swarming with rats and unstoppable tide of filthy rodents grown fat from gorging on the dead. Well, that's exaggerated. We've tried to point out before, if there's a rats are where rats are. So if you're near a canal or a, a warehouse or a farm barn or whatever, there'll be rats. Otherwise, it wasn't quite like that. But you're going to be, and this is, I remember George Ashurst well again. I can picture him as I look at you. George, uh, Corporal George Ashurst, First Lancashire Fusiliers. What does he say about this rat business? Whether it was the chalk trenches or the numerous dead bodies buried there that attracted them, I don't know, for they were quite at home and even had the manners to stand aside while you passed them in the trenches, and they looked quite offended if you kicked at them. Some of the boys swore that the rodents carried tin openers with them, for food was only safe when it was carried on the person. Excellent. Generic Northern? Generic Northern. (laughs) Now, French... They have various trench pets. And this was one of my favourite bits of the book. Because no matter what sort of trench pet they had, it always seemed to end up the same way, didn't it? Um, um, but they couldn't resist a joke or two, uh, could they? And I'm going to be Lieutenant Dennis Barnett of the 2nd Prince of Wales L- Leinster Regiment. That He might have seemed Irish, but he had a British accent. Uh, there's a little grave about two foot by three foot in the middle of a bust-up farm. And on the cross... There is this. Here lies Tim, a little brown dog, killed by a shell during the bombardment of this house by the Germans on April 23rd, 1915. R.I.P. That was the end of our mascot. <laughs> he went out, <laughs> he went out of the trench into the farm to see why the bricks kept jumping about. <laughs> he did his bit alright. The rifle brigade had a kitten. But she was shot by a sniper whilst walking on the trench with her tail straight up in the air. Please send a bulletproof tortoise. That's one of my favourites, that one. 
The combination of flooded trenches, corpses, lice and a limited diet was not conducive to sustained good health. Now, one thing that's uh, really bad, were that, 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 that just inevitable happened, was trench foot. Uh, that's from being uh, up to your, your, your knees in freezing cold water and mud. Your feet became first tender and then agonisingly painful. It was awful. Um, if it wasn't treated, men could uh, lose their toes. Uh, they could lose their feet. Their whole, they could have their whole feet amputated. This is especially in the early ca- ca- days of the war. And George Ashurst was an early victim. But even amidst his agony, he finds something to have a good luck, well, a bit of a chuckle about. And then once again, you're going to be private George Ashurst. This, though, is when he was in the second Lancashire Fuse List. He did dodge about a bit. And this is right at the start of the war, round about December 1940, uh, January 1915. Terrible, horrible pain. Just a touch of anything and you'd scream out. You used to go to the toilet on your hands and knees with your toes cocked up. A fellow would be coming back and when you got together, woof, woof, a bit of a dogfight. The nurses used to laugh at us. Probably at your accent. Yeah, because I think it changed. <laughs> <laughs> now, what was the cure for No, 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 not the cure. What was the prevention that they found for it? Well, they eventually discovered that whale oil rubbed into the feet every day had a preventative effect. Now, Gary, Gary, can, can we just have a little bit of a think about this? Who was it who first thought, I know what we'll do. We'll get oil from a whale. There's not a lot of whales on the Western Front. The trenches were full of them. Orcas, blue whales and humpbacks everywhere. Oh, all right. And yeah, anyway, well, it did work. Whale oil worked, didn't it? Yeah, but you've got to wonder about the thought process. Western Front, well, hmm. Uh, and what they, so they used to rub it on their feet. And in the end, uh, cases of trench uh, foot were regarded as an indicator of a poor battalion. If there were a lot of trench foot, they weren't using the whale oil. Interesting, that. Now, uh, the, there are other vicissitudes. Wow, well, I put that the for what? you to say. Vicissitudes. <laughs> vicissitudes. <laughs> you were meant to have to say that. Never mind. Uh, they, 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 they could manifest themselves. Uh, relatively trivial complaints, aren't they? Um, yeah, and that in the case of Donald Price had uh, most amusing consequences, or at least amusing from any other perspective but his. And this is what Corporal Donald Price of 20th Royal Fusiliers says. There's a piteousness about the denouement of this one. I've got a boil down here. The doctor came in, in along in the, came along in the morning as usual. And he says, anything doing? I said, yes, sir. I've got a boil. He said, let's have a look at it then. Well, now I've got to get my trousers down. Imagine it, an overcoat and all my equipment, raining like hell. I struggled with all this. I opened my coat and I got my pants down. He said, bend down. I bent down and my ass touched the fire step. Well, yeah, the fire step was sodden. And as I soon, as soon as I put a little bit of weight on it, it gave way. And I went with it, with my bare ass and my boil in this muck. The doctor looks at me and he says, Well, get up! I got up. My trousers and me covered in crap. And my boil had burst. Royal Fusiliers. Uh, no, he was Welsh. Oh, was he? He was Welsh. He was living in Nottingham as well. He was. Let me just tell you a little anecdote. As we drove, he drove me to the station. At uh, As he drove me to the station, as we reversed out of his drive, he ran into the gate post. <laughs> which was a very battered pile of bricks. And he said, it keeps doing, it keeps doing that. 
Oh, sorry. Another physical ailment was trench fever. Who's going to tell us about trench fever? Second Lieutenant Eric Bird of the 4th Gloucestershire Regiment. And this is what he says. I was sent in succession to a field ambulance, casualty clearing station and base hospital with, all the time, a temperature which zigzagged from subnormal to 103 degrees. I was successfully accused of uh, influenza, typhoid and muscular rheumatism. At number two Red Cross Hospital in Rouen, a young doctor heard my story, looked at my temperature chart and said, You've got trench fever. We've just invented it. Now, this is one of my favourite medical stories in the sense, because the, 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 what was the name of this company? They gave it a name, didn't they? Pyrexia of Unknown Origins. P-U-O. What does that mean, Pyrexia, Gary? Come on, use your Latin. Well, it meant he had a raised temperature for an unknown reason. (laughs) The name of the disease is we don't know. (laughs) Now, medical officers had a difficult task. How exactly were they to swiftly determine whether a man was seriously wounded, really ill, or merely malingering? One superb story illustrates the dilemma perfectly and this is what captain charles potter and lieutenant albert fothergill of the second sith lancashire fusiliers said yeah this is from a regiment a battalion history and i couldn't identify which i'd written this sometimes you can because uh, yeah but this is uh, i'll do it in two different voice no just one voice a jock came stumbling in carrying a casualty the medical officer asked the casualty where he was wounded on the cheek sir was the reply. The MO signed to the jock to drop his burden, and that worthy, somewhat disgruntled to learn that the object of his heroic exertion was merely superficially wounded, let him slide off his back and land with a resounding thud on the tile floor. This treatment elicited a loud groan from the sufferer. The MO continued his examination. I see no wound on your cheek, my man. He said he. A tearful voice replied, I mean the cheek of my arse, sir. That's one of my favourites. I just imagine Kronk. Mm. Life in the trenches was one of routine, a stale tedium slashed by moments of sudden nerve-shredding terror. This could be said of most wars, but the contrast was particularly stark in the Great War. Well, for the, for, yeah, for the British... That they did, they had tours of duty, didn't they? And they're not. People get the idea they were in the trenches all the time. They weren't, were they? What's what's a tour of duty? Well, three days stint at the front, support and reserve lines before going out to rest, and sometimes right back into reserve. Now we're going to pick up the story because uh, we've talked today about the conditions in the front lines, haven't we? But we've not talked about what you might call routine fighting. Uh, And we will be coming back to deal with that. Uh, Do you think fighting can ever be called routine? Well, we'll find out. Yeah, we will. Cheers, Gary. Cheers, Pete. Bye. 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 Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?